Good evening, everyone. I'm Abby Phillip, and this is CNN Tonight. We are now just hours away from a historic moment in America. Tomorrow afternoon, former President Donald Trump will be arraigned at a federal courthouse in Miami on 37 counts of alleged mishandling of classified documents. It is the first time a former commander-in-chief of the United States will be placed under arrest and face federal charges, but it is the second time for Donald Trump. And he will be arrested about two months after he was briefly taken into custody in April to face state charges in New York. So tonight, the magistrate judge who will preside over this arraignment tomorrow, calling the proceedings, and I quote, genuinely historic and of huge importance. And as we go live here, this is where Trump is huddling with his supporters at his Doral Golf Club in Miami, just a short distance from the courthouse, where we can report that he spent the day interviewing some lawyers and trying to bring aboard new individuals onto his team. CNN got this exclusive video of his arrival, where he appeared to be in a relaxed mood, greeting well-wishers, even smiling and posing for photographs. But first, I want to turn to our crime and justice reporter, Shimon Prokopes, who's been at this courthouse in Miami, looking at the security situation as it's been unfolding. Shimon, what are you hearing about the plans for what will happen outside of that courtroom tomorrow? Well, certainly we're going to see a coordinated effort between the Miami City Police. They actually have control over the property, the perimeter, uh, all of the security on the outside. And then Federal Protective uh, Services, the FPS, which you can see here, they're out here now, uh, Abby here with, their, with one of the uh, canine dogs. We're seeing them out and about here uh, tonight. Uh, they are the ones that are responsible for protecting the federal property where we are standing. Uh, they're out here. We're seeing a number of them out here tonight, certainly more than we saw uh, last night. And they've come from uh, all different parts of the country. I was just talking to one who came here from Atlanta. So they've surged resources in here. Uh, the issue, as you can see around me here, there's not a whole lot of security at the moment. There aren't a lot of barricades. Uh, you're seeing a yellow tape kind of all around here. That's really the extent of the security that we're seeing. Um, I asked the Miami City Police Chief about this today because there are concerns uh, from people in the area, from people who live uh, here and people who work here. What will the security be like? Uh, and he said there was nothing to fear. Take a listen. We've been hearing from people in the building around that area that they're concerned that there's no hardening around the area, the perimeter, and that people can just freely come and go. There's yellow tape right now that's been placed. Will that change? Because there is a lot of concern that people may try to storm the building or try to enter some of that area. I mean, are you going to harden that area? Well, what I can tell you is reach back to the foes that have reached to you and tell them that there's no reason to fear. And so that's kind of the posture they're taking right now uh, here. But hopefully by tomorrow, um, something will change here. We're going to see more certain law enforcement personnel here. But when I talk to him about hardening, it's kind of taking this yellow tape. And instead of having this yellow tape, it's putting barriers here so that you can prevent people uh, who may try to go inside, who shouldn't be inside, like we've seen at other uh, events uh, in the Capitol, those large fences, like we saw when uh, Donald Trump appeared in Manhattan uh, just about two months ago, where we saw all those metal barriers. We're not seeing that level of security here 
uh, at this time, hopefully tomorrow, uh, that'll change. The other thing, Abby, that a lot of concern uh, that I'm hearing from law enforcement officials is just what they're seeing online, the rhetoric, the chatter, uh, the number of people that are saying they want to come here, show up here, and just how violent and vicious some of that is. That is all very concerning to law enforcement officials uh, who are monitoring all of that, and they wait to see what happens here uh, when the president appears here at 3 o'clock tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very obvious just looking at the picture behind you. It's pretty much wide open. Uh, Shimon, on the issue of yeah. the threats, though, that you just mentioned, ha- has there been any indication that anything specific is emerging uh, in these last 24 to 48 hours that would be a cause for concern for law enforcement? So it's, yes, the concern is just the um, kind of the violent nature of some of it. The concern is the amount of it that they're, that they're seeing is not necessarily uh, an increase from what they saw on January 6th, but it was enough this morning when I spoke to someone, a law enforcement official, who sort of said, you know, I hope they kind of uh, have things together here in Florida because uh, this person was certainly concerned over what they were seeing, the language that they were seeing, uh, and just the number of people who were saying they wanted to come here, you know, the police chief told us that they're prepared for anywhere from 5,000 to 50,000 here showing up. Uh, One of the things that they're doing here also, Abby, it's important to note, is that we're not going to see the former president come in here like we saw in New York City. They're expecting to take him underground and take him out that same way so they feel that they can secure him. But there's a lot of concern about what will be happening outside here on the perimeter while he's inside. Yeah, and certainly uh, the NYPD is just such a huge, massive uh, police force. They really swarmed the zone, which might have served as a significant deterrent. Uh, Shimon Prokopes, thank you so much. Um, We'll be back with you, I know, a lot over the next day or so. But right now I want to bring in former Deputy Director of National Intelligence Beth Sanner, former FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe, CNN Political and National Security Analyst David Sanger, and CNN Legal Analyst Elliot Williams. Uh, Beth and Andrew, both of you are great people to have on a night like tonight as we go into tomorrow. Uh, Beth, first, your reaction to what Shimon just laid out. Are you worried? I have seen uh, high school graduations and concerts with more security than I see at an event that is likely to attract all manner of of humans. To, me, uh, to be honest, I have too. Uh, uh, so going to a baseball. I, game, I mean, I, I, yeah, baseball. Sports. Anything. We've all been to to events that are in our hometowns that have more security than that, and it just seems a little bit out of sync with um, the experiences that we've all encountered. Yeah, agreed. I, you know, there's no shame in being overprepared, but there is great shame in being underprepared and not ready. Um, the, the way that you secure locations where you expect an event that could draw protesters, counter-protesters, any, any uh, combination of uh, very charged people uh, is to keep, prevent those crowds from accumulating close to the target, which in this case is the federal courthouse, and to keep those separate groups from combining with each other. That's how you get a, 
uh, a violent confrontation like a Charlottesville or something like that. So uh, typically that's done by kind of hardening the premises, bringing in, you know, vehicles and salt trucks and things to close down roads, uh, the bicycle uh, rack barricades. Well, look at actually that's such a good point because this caught my eye. I mean, look at New York City. This this is what they had in New York uh, in terms of barricades there. I think we have a picture of the New York scene. And then I want to show you what is happening. This is this is New York, right? This right. is what you're used to. This is even what they had That's outside right. of the Capitol, outside of January 6th. But in Miami, they're using something totally different. And it really just caught my eye because I was like, this thing just looks flimsy. Look at this. I mean, they're plastic. They're yellow. I mean, you <laughs> yeah. can see them, but they're just, they just look flimsy. And, you know, let's remember, I you know, New York City has 35,000 sworn officers. Yeah. Um, in a much smaller area. Miami, between the city and the county, has about maybe 4,000 sworn officers, much greater area. They can't afford to take all those folks and send them to the courthouse. They have a, a large area to patrol uh, during normal business tomorrow. Um, so it's, it's, it's a little uh, confounding, the yeah. lack of kind of physical uh, signatures that we're just not seeing. And, and David, uh, CNN spoke to this Trump voter who says that she's hearing from everyone that she knows that people are descending onto Miami. This is also a state in Florida, pretty lax gun laws, um, and actually where Trump has a pretty strong base of support. So does that complicate the situation? And, and are people being naive to not, to not worry maybe a little bit more? Well, I certainly think you need to be worried more for all the reasons that that we've just heard from Beth and Andy. There are, I I think, two concerns. What the world sees and what we see outside the courtroom and what we see inside the courtroom. For many people in the world, this is going to be their first vision of what, you know, real American justice looks like other than, you know, what's portrayed occasionally on TV dramas and so forth. And it's really important that we get this right for two reasons. For the inside the courtroom part, we have to have it right because we know that China, Russia, everybody else who's got an agenda out here is going to be portraying this in ways that will help their own interests. And here in the United States, it will feed whatever partisan elements there are. And because it is unprecedented, it's important that the courts show that this is a non-political event. Outside, equally important, because we have to show that we learned the lessons of January 6th. And that's why it's so worrisome for what we've got. I mean, no news would absolutely be good news in a situation like that. And Elliot, just the choreography of this all, not Trump's first arraignment, but his first in a federal system. What should we expect? It's quite straightforward and quite simple. This hearing is just an, it's an initial appearance in court. He'll be advised of what his rights are as a criminal defendant, be told he has a, you know he can have the attorney of his choosing. He, uh, the conditions of his release will be set. And it's amazing that in all of this, all this discussion of the politics and uh, the complexities and some of the legal questions, uh, it's, he's still a criminal defendant uh, in, in Proceedings that are, I don't, I don't even want to say ministerial, but, but really almost quite simple. Um, but, you know, but to echo all of these points, you know, it underscores a, a much broader point for those of us who have spent a lot of time around federal courts that, yes, they're protected. you got to go through the magnetometer and so on. But judges don't receive a ton of protection. Courthouses don't typically receive a ton of protection. And they're sort of exposed and out there. And it's, it's probably something we ought to think about as a nation. Beth, uh, 
one thing I've been thinking about is that this indictment really gave us a lot of meat on the bones, some details about what Trump had, what he didn't really want to give back. If you're sitting in the national security apparatus right now, how worried are you that our allies are looking at this situation and saying, we need to hold off, we can't, we can't trust them right at this moment? Well, I think that the allies already had that view in many ways during the Trump administration. I mean, you can just look at um, polling overseas and popularity and and how happy a lot of foreign leaders were when President Biden came in. So there was already a little bit of trepidation among our traditional allies about Trump. I think that this, you know, as David said, how we handle this will have a lot of impact on on how this will reverberate. If we handle it well, it is, well, okay, we've kind of got that under control. We knew what this was like, and, and okay, it's not unexpected, but the system's working. If we don't handle this well, and we allow the polarization in particular to devolve into violence or worse, um, you know, then I think we really have our adversaries, um, you know, it's just open season for them. Yeah. And David, I mean, uh, once was bad enough, but as you were pointing out, the world is watching to see yep. whether we can we have our act together as a, as a nation, right? Look, other countries have tried former leaders. Yep. It's happened a lot. In some cases, we viewed it as retribution and political. And in other cases, we viewed it as showing that no one is above the law and that it's reinforced democratic tradition. We definitely have to come down on the side, as Beth suggested here, that this is reinforcing the concept that no one is above the law. The second element of it, I think, that is really important is those allies who are looking at how the intelligence was treated um, have got to be wondering why it is that they're sharing a lot of intelligence with the United States and what, how they're going to protect the intelligence we share with them. And if the U.S. is only as strong as its allies, that intelligence sharing's got to go on. That's got to mean that the government's going to have to establish there's some real rules here. Yeah, they've got, I mean, if there's one thing this whole thing has shown us is that we do have a problem in this country with classified information, keeping track of it, and understanding where it's all going. But everyone stand by. As we all mentioned, Trump is spending the night at his Doral Golf Resort in Miami before his arraignment tomorrow. CNN's Randy Kay is there as well. Randy? Abby, we saw the former president a couple of times today. Uh, Once uh, in the afternoon when he showed up uh, after first just arriving here uh, in Miami, he came to his resort here uh, at Doral, Florida. And then um, at that time, his son, Eric Trump, uh, was in the lobby waiting for him. A few supporters were also there waiting for him. Uh, He stopped and paused and asked how everybody was and then seemed to go on his way. He also had an entourage with him, uh, probably some of his lawyers, and was going over all of his, uh, his... discussions with his legal team uh, as well all afternoon. And then at 7 p.m. tonight, uh, I was in the lobby and uh, the former president came downstairs uh, at Doral to go into the restaurant there to have dinner. His son, Eric Trump, had gone down uh, into the restaurant about a half an hour before him with a group of men and uh, and then came the former president. 
A lot of people were in the lobby to greet him. They were shouting, we're with you, we're behind you, we support you. Mr. President, uh, he seemed to enjoy that. Uh, he gave a couple of thumbs up. And then once he got inside the restaurant, he actually uh, paused and took some pictures with people. They were asking him if he would, uh, and he did. So he took some photos, uh, talked to them about what they do for a living, and then he went on his way uh, to have dinner uh, in one of the back rooms of the restaurant with his son and whoever else uh, was going to join him. But uh, the second time we saw him, he did seem to be um, a little lighter. He seemed to be a little cheerier. Uh, of course, this is a, a very important uh, evening as, uh, as the clock is ticking, as he's going to uh, make that a court appearance for his arraignment tomorrow. So very important evening for him uh, as he dines with those in the restaurant here. Abby? Very much so, Randy. Thank you very much. And former President Trump is interviewing lawyers tonight, just hours before he's expected to be formally arrested and arraigned. We have our legal experts here to tell us how they see how all of this is playing out tomorrow. That's next. We're getting some new details tonight about the president, former president's search for additional attorneys to join his team. The details come as he huddles with the, the existing attorneys that he has just hours ahead of his historic arraignment in federal court tomorrow. CNN senior justice correspondent Evan Perez is in Miami tonight. So, Evan, Evan uh, what can you tell us about Trump's search for this new attorney at this pretty late stage, I guess, in the process and what strategy he wants to take? It is a pretty late stage. Uh, he spent the weekend, uh, some of his, uh, both the, the former president and some of his allies uh, spent their weekend uh, trying to reach out to lawyers here in the Miami area, here in Florida, uh, trying to find the right person who could represent him in this case. Uh, we, also, we also know that, uh, you know, Todd Blanche, who has been on his team representing him in one of the cases in New York, uh, is going to be here. We're expecting him to at least be in court. Uh, he also spent some time today, uh, Caitlin Collins was reporting that uh, he, he spent some time with Ben Cuny. He's a, a well-known Miami lawyer. Uh, it's not clear whether Ben Cuny is going to join the team. We know, uh, Abby, that, uh, we, that the former president uh, did take some calls from people who were interested in joining this, his team. There were also some that he and his allies were reaching out to who, who said that they didn't have any interest in representing him. So we're now going to wait till tomorrow to see exactly who appears on the president's team uh, when he appears in court uh, for his first appearance here in Miami. Abby? A perennial problem for Donald Trump. And he's, of course, not the easiest uh, defendant to represent, but this is also a very, very tough case. Evan Perez, thank you very much. And now I want to bring in former special assistant a Watergate prosecutor John Sale and Palm Beach County State Attorney Dave Ehrenberg. Uh, John and Dave, thanks for joining us. So, John, I want to start with you. I'm going to play here what one of Trump's former lawyers, Tim Parlatori, told Aaron Burnett just earlier tonight about what his biggest concerns are in this case. The two pieces of it that I'm, you know, give me a little bit of pause are the exchanges between the president and Walt Nada. Uh, regarding the movement of boxes, right? Uh, which, again, if they actually have all the video and, and everything that they claim to back that up, that's going to be a tremendous hurdle. Uh, the other thing is the, um, the exchanges with the uh, employee of the PAC about you know, the map. Right, uh, that's dissemination. Gonna, correct. That, that's going to be uh, potentially problematic because there's no tape of that, it seems. It seems like that is something mm -hmm. that is based on 
you know, the testimony of somebody who may still work for him. Uh, so that's that's something that's also going to be problematic. Yeah, and he's expressing there, John, uh, some question marks. We don't know who that evidence may have come from. As you know that he's trying to beef up his legal team, do you think he's going to be able to find the kind of legal firepower that he's going to need to go up against what the government may have in this case? I find it hard to believe that he can't find a good lawyer. After all, he was the former president of the United States. This is a historic case. It's the only time it's ever happened. I hope it never happens again. Uh, But it's very important. When I handle a case in other parts of the country, the very first thing I do is engage a local lawyer so that you know the practice, you know the customs. Mr. Blanche tomorrow needs to have somebody make a motion, we call it pro hoc vici, to even allow him to appear. So the former president shouldn't rush it, it's so important. But the one bit of advice that I have, although they're not asking me for any now, but the one bit of advice I have is that the infighting has to stop and the finger pointing and they have to all come on, be on the same page and have a rapport with their client. Yeah, I mean, and Parlatori actually left the legal team because of concerns. One of the reasons was because of concerns about another lawyer who was on the team. John, earlier tonight, Chris Christie was on a CNN town hall. He referenced something called the rocket docket in South Florida, saying that uh, he believes that it could uh, play a role in speeding up the trial. So maybe not um, maybe not 70 days, but six to eight months. Do you think it could move that fast? Well, I have a great deal of respect for Governor Christie, but we do not have a rocket docket, which is exactly why you need a local Florida lawyer. It depends upon the judge. And some judges are very slow. I'm not going to mention any names. Some judges hold your feet to the fire. But the national security documents, there's a statute called CIPA, CIPA, C-I-P-A, which sets out procedures for reviewing for the defense team to review classified documents. That, without fault of anybody, is going to cause a substantial delay. And uh, Dave, uh, to that point, the special counsel sounds like they're all also trying to bring on prosecutors with Florida experience. What does that tell us about their strategy, especially in light of the fact that they changed venues at what seems to have been a fairly late stage in this investigation? Yeah, Abby, I think you hit it right there. The special counsel is a well-experienced, well-respected attorney, Jack Smith. But I don't think they counted on coming to Florida until the very end. I think they must have had an internal discussion that they didn't want to go into all these delays in a fight over venue. They wanted to have this in Washington, D.C. After all, Trump got 5% of the vote in Washington, D.C. And the judges in D.C. are more experienced in these national security matters. But they ultimately decided to go to South Florida for a few reasons. I think first, they knew that Trump would challenge venue. They didn't want to have a chance of losing the case. They didn't want endless delays over challenges to venue. And plus, I think Jack Smith wanted the public to buy into this. It's one thing to go to D.C. in the friendly confines of the D.C. courts. It's another thing to go get the indictment in Trump's home state, a red state, in front of a grand jury of individuals from all walks of life, non-political. And I think that makes a statement. And Dave, uh, one of the other things that Christie talked about was the idea that he thinks that there might be much more evidence that appears in the courtroom. What do you think about that? Is it possible that we could learn new things or hear from new people when this goes to trial? 
think it's possible. But I think the Justice Department did a good job in creating what's called a speaking indictment. They gave 49 pages of really good information to describe what's going on here. Compare that to New York, which took a different approach in its indictment of Donald Trump. Uh, they didn't give us much information. They play a little bit of hide the ball. But Jack Smith wanted the public to buy into this. So not only did he explain what the facts were, he also did a bit of show and tell. There were pictures in there. Now you have that iconic yeah. photo of the bathroom with a chandelier with all the boxes around. And so I think that uh, there may be new evidence that we learn at trial, but I think they're already showing their hand and, and rightfully so. Yeah, I mean, this may be one of those way, the one of the ways that I mean, the DOJ would never say that they're taking all of the other things happening in the world under consideration, but they've learned from the other indictment that Donald Trump faced how important public opinion is. Uh, John Sale and Dave Ehrenberg, thank you both very much. Thank you. And Trump, thank Trump is now leading in the Republican race for the presidential nomination. Will his indictment on federal charges change that from a Republican congressman? Will Hurd is with us and tells us what he thinks after this break. We are now just hours away from Donald Trump's arrest on federal charges of alleged mishandling of classified documents. Even so, the former president says he will not drop out of the race for the 2024 Republican nomination under any circumstance. And joining me now tonight from New Hampshire is former Texas Republican Congressman Will Hurd. He is also a former CIA officer. Uh, Congressman Hurd, thanks for joining us. Look, tomorrow will, of course, be an incredibly historic day uh, for the country. But uh, I want to talk about what this means for the Republican race in terms of uh, Trump's Mm -hmm. charges against him. Uh, How do you think that this affects the 2024 race? Look, instead of the 2024 election being a conversation on Joe Biden and what Joe Biden has and hasn't done, it could potentially be a conversation about more additional baggage of Donald Trump. And if it's about Donald Trump's baggage, then guess what? Republicans are going to lose in, in 2024. And so, so that's, uh, that's unfortunate. Um, at, at a time when you have the, the Chinese president having, you know, putting, putting intelligence resources 100 miles away from the United States and Cuba, you have Vladimir Putin um, sending nuclear weapons to, to, Belo- to Belarus, you have the Saudi government trying to weaponize um, the uh, oil again. You have the BRICS countries trying to uh, to impact uh, the dollar. You have people in the United States of America worried about where robots take their jobs because of where AI is going, the concern con- continued about inflation. Instead of all that, we're talking about why someone didn't give documents back when they were asked. And that is, that's, that's not good for the country, uh, and that's not good for the GOP. One of the things we're also seeing playing out over the last couple of days is Republican candidates seeming to figure out how to deal with this in real time. Uh, For example, Nikki Haley, she's now changing her tune from a statement that she gave CNN before Trump's indictment was unsealed. She called it prosecutorial overreach and vendetta politics. But here she is today. Listen. If this indictment is true, if what it says is actually the case, President Trump was incredibly reckless with our national security. It's reckless, it's frustrating, 
and um, it causes problems. And, you know, we're looking now, this is the second indictment. We're looking at possibly a third indictment. These are all candidates who are running to be the Republican nominee. What does it make you think when you see them flip-flopping, I guess, like this? Well, look, I, I grew up in politics with a simple uh, perspective, right? Be honest. Treat people with respect, right? Don't be afraid of constituents. And, 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 and ultimately, anybody who has read that document, you know, these are uh, taped recordings, right? I, I don't think the FBI uh, put together and, and mishandled what they typed in on their on the transcript. Um, and so, so, and, and the other thing is, is this all the information that the FBI and DOJ have access to? I think it's probably unlikely. You have a better pers- perspective on on what else uh, may may come out. And and so unfortunately, um, this is this is this comes down to uh, leadership. This comes down to character. And what do you want in a president? Do you want somebody who lies to you? Do you want somebody who tells the truth? Do you want somebody who spits in the face of men and women who are putting themselves in harm's way in order to keep us safe? Uh, these are the questions that we're that we're going to have to ask um, ourselves, and, and hopefully. And, and I do believe the, the voters of the Republican Party are going to recognize that and realize that Donald Trump has too much baggage. And if we elect uh, Donald Trump, then we are willingly giving the 2024 election to Joe Biden. I know that you have said in the past that you think Hillary Clinton and her emails, you thought that was a huge problem. But I wonder, mm-hmm. when you hear Republicans deflect, bringing up that situation, do you think that there is a real difference here? And, and are these allegations against Trump more serious? Well, Donald Trump's attorney general did not bring charges against against Hillary Clinton. Look, I, I still stand behind that if I had done these things, it would be I, I would have been uh, treated differently when I was in the CIA. But we can talk about DOJ, what they do and do not do separately, right? This is about what we know uh, about Donald Trump, and and we wouldn't be here, we would not be in this situation if he would have given the documents back when he asked. And, and that is, is ultimately the problem. And let's address that. Um, and, and, and guess what? If we want to address the other issues uh, about um, how DOJ prosecutes things, what's the future of the of federal law enforcement, then we have to win elections in order to have, in order to have those, kinds of, those kinds of conversations. So right now we're speaking to you from the state of New Hampshire. You're, you're not from New Hampshire. You're from... Texas. So you're considering, uh, I take it, a run for the presidency. Has any of this that's unfolded over the last few days, the charges against Trump, the reaction from your federal Republicans, has it influenced your decision to put your hat in the ring? Look, for me, the, the question is about how do I help my country? Like, how do we ensure that the United States of America is a place where the American dream is accessible by, by all, not just a select few? And, and, and that is why I'd be getting into the race. Here's the reality. In, in the conversations that I've had in coffee shops and diners and, and in, in uh, civic complexes, the, the questions were about things that impact people's ability to put a roof over 
the head, food on the table, and making sure the people they love are healthy, happy, and safe. Those are the conversations that people actually want to engage in and want to have their conversations. And they recognize uh, this kind of stuff is embarrassing. Um, it shouldn't be happening. And it's an issue that Donald Trump brought on himself um, because all he had to do was return the documents when he was asked. A decision coming in days or weeks? A decision. I need to make a decision soon. That's for sure. All right. All right. Congress, former Congressman Will Hurd, thank you very much for joining us. Always a pleasure. And my panel of experts and analysts, they're all here, and they've got a lot to say about what former Congressman Will Hurd just said. We will weigh in on all of that after a quick break. Ahead of his arrest in just a few hours, former President Trump, surrounded by supporters tonight at his Miami golf resort. Some of those supporters tell CNN, though, that they will still back him for president in next year's election. Let's get right back to our panel. Joining us now, CNN political commentators Ashley Allison and Kristen Stoltis Anderson. So, Ashley, you heard what Rule Heard had to say. It sounds like the field is going to get a little bit more crowded. Yeah, well, first I want to say I appreciate him condemning Trump's behavior and saying that you know, we should not be putting the blame on the DOJ. And, that's a strong and, I don't think that... An and, not a but. Yes, <laughs> the and. Okay. I don't think Will Hurd is necessarily the person that the Republican uh, voter is looking to jump into the race to support in the primary. And again, the larger the field gets, the harder it is to defeat Trump. So, you know, everyone can run in this country for president. God bless him if he decides to. But is that really what that party needs right now to get rid of a Donald Trump from being the Republican nominee? Yeah, I mean, actually, a couple of days ago, there was a talk about is there a soul searching about how the field needs to narrow? Maybe not. We also spoke to a Trump supporter down in Miami today. And here's what she said. Like, we don't even care if he's going to be in jail and we have to write him in you know to a lot of us it's like trump or nothing like we're not even looking at the sanchez as a second option we're not looking at anybody else as a second option we maybe we will vote for uh that person so trump and his team i mean look nobody is thrilled about being indicted but their but i think their view is an indictment hardens the resolve of people like that woman in the polls that I see, it's between 20 and 30 percent generally say they are with Trump no matter what. They are the he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and they'd stick with him crew. That's within the Republican primary electorate. There's another really large chunk, and that's the more interesting one to me, is the one that says we like Donald Trump, but we're open to other options. And what's going to be fascinating to watch is to what extent does this indictment push any of those folks firmly into Donald Trump's camp to where they say, you know what, I'm not considering anyone else anymore. I just want Donald Trump. Or does it make them go, you know what, let's really keep my mind open. Let's keep our options open because it's not a good look to have our nominee be someone who could potentially be in prison. And so I think for the Republican Party, having more and more candidates who actually do take a swing at Donald Trump a little bit. You know, up until this point, so many of these candidates have said the only way to win this game is not to play. Don't even pretend like Donald Trump doesn't exist. You're starting to see whether it's what we just heard from Will Hurd or what we heard from Chris Christie earlier tonight in the town hall or what we even heard a little bit from Nikki Haley earlier today. Republicans beginning to say maybe it is time to take a few swings. You know what's interesting, though, about the Nikki Haley and the, you know, some of the others 
coming out today with stronger statement, Tim Scott, right? Mm-hmm. It's almost like they waited for Bill Barr to give them a permission mm-hmm. slip to say this is bad and maybe we should we should criticize Trump for it. But but Andrew, I, I want to talk to you about tomorrow, the history mm-hmm. of this moment. Trump told a reporter this weekend he never wanted to be indicted. And honestly, I think the country never thought they would meet this moment. What do you think this means for us as a nation? Well, I mean, first, I have to say, hearing uh, the former president say he never wanted to get indicted, that's like makes the most sense of anything I've heard him say in and a long time. And yet he behaved in this way that that's right. that's clearly right. led to an indictment. It's, it is yet another norm, another barrier that's been broken down. It's not just watching a former president get indicted, but it's watching it for the second time. Yeah. Um, uh, we should, it's, uh, of course, historic and notable, but also entirely foreseeable. Right. So we for, you know, most I think most people who had from the intelligence community who had exposure to the former president during his term um, recognized a very different approach to things like uh, respecting and handling and understanding highly sensitive intelligence products. Um, So to now see the details in this indictment of what can only be described as wildly reckless behavior with respect to America's, some of America's most sensitive and important secrets, I don't think that many people are that surprised. No, I I think that's it. You know, there's one of the most interesting things we heard tonight was talking about other countries where this has actually happened, former leaders or even sitting leaders, Israel, France, and so on. There is a roadmap for the rule of law playing out um, with respect to a sitting or former president. It's just a question of whether we are capable of doing it. Now, we as Americans uh, like to think of ourselves as a global model, and we ought to be, but this is really a test um, of our system and and who we are uh, as a country. Yeah, I mean, it's been so surprising. I guess I shouldn't be surprised to hear so many people make the argument that a candidate in and of a candidacy in and of itself should be almost like an immunity. Being a former president should be almost like immunity uh, against uh, the rule of law. So we'll see how that plays out. But thank you all for this. A historic day tomorrow. Donald Trump will be formally arrested and arraigned on those federal charges. We'll be right back. As we've been telling you, former President Trump is in Miami tonight. He's been glad-handing supporters, putting on a brave face as he interviews lawyers just hours before he is set to be arrested and arraigned tomorrow. Trump is now facing 37 counts of his alleged mishandling of classified documents after he left the White House. And all eyes will be on the courthouse in Miami for the twice-impeached former president's first steps in a trail that is set to roil the political landscape ahead of 2024. And CNN will, of course, be live from Florida for every moment of that. We have special live coverage beginning tomorrow at 11 a.m. Eastern time with the arrest and arraignment coverage at 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for that. And thank you for watching us tonight. I will see you all tomorrow for all of that coverage and all of the latest developments. Have a good night. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.